0: The following is a Thunderbolt West Media Production. This episode is going to be all about prepping. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving, So I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show originates at the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show airs on global shortwave stations, WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, at frequency 7.490, and also on WRMI, Radio Miami International, on frequency 5850. And you can tune in to Key Radio, 89.3 FM, in Osage Beach, Missouri. And this show is also available on demand on Spreaker, Anchor, Podpoint, Podpage, and Red Circle. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith and be sure to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. Thanks for joining me, everyone. I do appreciate it. Well, today I'm going to have pretty much a one-track mind as I try to take a look at the world's events and also give you my recommendations of what we need to do next. But before I get into the meat of the show... I want to thank everyone for writing me all the emails and letters, and to the folks that do contribute, I do appreciate it. It's because of your efforts I'm able to bring you this program every week. Well, if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Bob Bierman, or maybe you'll believe Nate, the Canadian Prepper, or maybe you'll believe the folks at True News, or maybe Pastor Butch, or Beth Ann, or Alex Jones. Or the hundreds of other people that have podcasts and also radio shows. And we're all saying the same thing. Time's up, folks. If we're not prepped by now, we're in huge trouble. And so I want to address last minute prepping. And I want to explain to you just exactly where I think this is going and what you need to do. But just keep in mind. This is just one man's opinion. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone's environment is different. But there are a few basic rules of thumb that I think that you need to really look at and really consider. It seems that the war in Israel against Hamas is growing, and it's going to be against Hezbollah and Iran and anyone else they decide to go to war against. Because it's my opinion that Netanyahu is insane and the entire government of Israel is corrupt and is nothing but warmongers. And I think the world court is eventually going to find them guilty of genocide and also I think these people are going to have to pay for their crimes. If not in this world, in the next. And it seems like the United States just can't wait to get into a war in the Middle East again. And we're going to be fighting against Iraq again and Iran and Syria. And before this is over, I see us fighting Egypt, several other countries, of course, Yemen. But I want to start the prepping off by giving you a last call for ammunition. From what I'm hearing, gunpowder is getting so scarce that the militaries of the world are backordered for months. In trying to get their ammunition secured and it won't be very long until the average person won't be able to buy ammunition as a matter of fact I hear that they're using ammunition that is outdated or from calibers that are no longer popular and they are actually recycling the gunpowder from older ammunition at some of these factories I don't know if that's true but but I think that the source that I heard that from is fairly credible And of course, the government is going to keep track of who has a lot of ammunition. And I feel there's a really good possibility that the government will try to confiscate everyone's ammunition, not only to get the bullets out of your hands, but also to possibly recycle your bullets. This is going to get so ugly so fast that the world is not going to know what hit it. And I don't care how much you put your head in the sand and say, oh, nothing's going to happen. Things are already happening. Pandora's box has been opened. The genie is out of the bottle, however you want to say it. It's a done deal. Illegitimate Joe Biden is already claiming that he knows what he's going to do against Iran. And this is just a brief side note. Through the years, the United States and Israel and other countries have used what I would call false flags to get us into war. Several examples of the battleship Maine that was not sunk by the Spanish, but they claim the Spanish did it. The Gulf of Tonkin, that incident that got us into the Vietnam War. What Adolf Hitler did at the start of World War II, of dressing up some German prisoners in Polish uniforms and shooting them and claiming that Poland was invading Germany. There's an awful lot of false flags that have happened through the years and the weapons of mass destruction that Saddam Hussein did not have. There's an awful lot of things that we've had to go through as far as being lied to and they try to get us all excited about the next war. Well, now it's everything's Iran's fault. Have you noticed it's no longer Russia's fault? It's all Iran's fault now. I hate that we've lost troops, that they've been killed. I hate that. But I have a feeling that Iran didn't directly have anything to do with the bombing. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a 100% false flag. But whether it's a false flag or not is immaterial. We're going to go ahead and bomb Iran. And of course, Iran has said they're going to bomb us back. And I think they've already started. You look at the chicken plant that's on fire and the pipeline that blew up in the Oklahoma panhandle. There's already sabotage happening all over North America, and it's just a matter of time before it becomes a daily occurrence of more derailments, more fires, more pipelines being disrupted or blown up, our infrastructure being attacked, and of course everything online being hacked by computer hackers. And all of that is already happening. And I've got several people that listen to my show that they listen to it for entertainment's sake, but they don't believe a word I'm saying. They don't think we're going to have troops in harm's way in the Middle East. They don't think we're going to fight Russia. They think everything is just an election year ploy. Well, you can go ahead and think that if you want to jeopardize your life, but I sure wouldn't bet my life that I'm wrong, that's for sure. I hope I'm wrong, and I may not be right on everything that I believe is going to happen, But I do believe I'm more right than wrong when you add all the issues up that I discuss every week on my show. And so, to those who have your head in the sand, this is your last call to wake up. And I do think we need to be armed. I think we need to have enough ammunition. I think self defense is going to be vital because if 911 is still going and operational, who knows how many calls they're going to get and how many officers are going to have to spread out over all the catastrophes that may be happening all at the same time. But I'm going to get into some rubber-meets-the-road survival here, because I think time is short. Now they're talking that 2025 is a year that we're going to see a war with Russia. I don't believe that. I think it's going to be much sooner. It may be 2025, and actually it's now 11 months away, so... That's not that long of a time, but, but I think things are going to get a lot more complicated very soon. The first thing you need to do, in my opinion, is get a map of potential nuclear weapons targets that Russia or some other country may target to send in a nuclear bomb to take that location out. Pull up a map of your area or of the United States of potential nuclear weapons targets. And once you do that, take a good look at your area. If you have a black dot over the top of your town, well then the chances of you getting nuked are extremely high. And I might add you might want to take several different sites and compare because some sites are better than others and you don't want to rely on just one site, you need a second and a third opinion on this because it's that important. Then you have to take into consideration ease of travel, whether a highway is heading the direction that you would like to head, but look for spots that do not have any marks on it as far as being targets. But before you find a pretty wide open spot and say that's going to be a safe spot, it's a good idea for you to know where the prevailing winds come for each month of the year. You might have to print that out or write it down. In a lot of places, it's going to be the same direction all year, but you need to know which direction the prevailing winds are going to blow. And very rarely, where I'm from, do you get winds from the southwest heading northeast. Very rare. We get some winds from the southeast heading northwest. And winds out of the straight south and winds out of the west, but hardly ever out of the southwest. And I live in an area where there's a target over my town. But if I go southwest, I'm heading closer to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Even though I'm going south, I'm going west. If you look at Cheyenne, Wyoming, and see how many, there's dozens, if not a hundred, targets near. Cheyenne, Wyoming, from Cheyenne into the Nebraska Panhandle. That's just a solid bunch of dots. Same way with parts of North Dakota and Montana, and also on the East Coast in the metro area of New York and Philadelphia and Baltimore. And that whole area is pretty heavily saturated with black marks as well. But I don't think I could head southwest because if I go farther southwest, I'm heading right towards Colorado Springs, and of course, that's a huge target. But the wind does blow from the northeast once in a while to go southwest. So, that plus the other issues would keep me from going southwest. So, my optimum place for me to go is northeast. And fortunately, as I go northeast, I am getting closer to Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, which is the home of NORAD, which is definitely going to get hit. The prevailing winds from there would have to be from the southeast. And those aren't really common here. But I have to get as far away as I can from Cheyenne, Wyoming. Because if every black dot is hit with a nuclear weapon, which it might be, that would be probably 60 to 100 nuclear weapons striking one small area. Well, those weapons are striking what? Nuclear weapons. And so every dot you can take it times two, or how many warheads that they have stored in these missile silos, which I don't know. I would assume that there's more nuclear weapons there than they have missiles to launch them. I may be wrong about that. But even if you just double it, that's well over 100 nuclear weapons that are going to go off almost at the same time in an area that has a lot of sandy soil. And the fallout is going to be just tremendous. And we do get westerly winds here in the summer. And of course, we're heading that direction right now as far as the seasons go. So, heading east or west or staying where I'm at is not an option. And so, I'm looking at an area that's about 100 to 120 miles northeast of my location, a place I can get to fairly fast, a very remote place. And that's one good thing about Nebraska. There's quite a few counties in Nebraska have less than a thousand people in the entire county and they have three or four little towns that might have 75 to 150 people in each town and all these towns are pretty much towns that time has forgot and there are older buildings available that that are possibly just storage sheds or warehouse spaces that's all you would need to hunker down in and so even if you're at your bug out location. You need to have a secondary bug-out location, is what I'm saying. I don't plan on leaving my location unless things really get hot. And of course, if I stay here and they drop a nuke on my town, well, it's going to get very hot for me very fast, and you'll never hear from me again. But I'm not just going to sit here and wait for someone to drop a nuke on my head. I'm going to get out of here if I think it's going to happen. And so I'm looking at ways to get as many as my animals. To safety as well. And so I'm looking out for not only myself, but also the animals I'm in charge of. Now, the big question is do I think I'm going to have to use another location? If this thing goes nuclear, I'm going to say yes, almost definitely. Because I'm only four miles away from the world's largest rail yard as far as them switching the trains and putting the different cars together to make a train to hook them all together. It all happens here, whether it comes from the east coast heading to the west coast or vice versa. The cars come here, and then they sort them here, and it's really a big deal. And it's so big that it's definitely a target. Several of the maps I've seen do not show this town as a target, but they show a town 50 miles down the road as a target, because there's a large dam there, and if they would hit that dam they could accomplish the same thing of wiping out the rail yard because there'd be a 10 to 20 foot wall of water that would hit within an hour and it would pretty well wipe out the whole town and it definitely would wipe out my house if they would do that. But either way, I'm in harm's way here. That said, I am prepared here for things to get really bad. I've got food and I have a makeshift fallout shelter. So I think it's time we really take stock of our situation, and I think that's a major part of being prepared. Mike Tyson said it best, everybody has a plan until they get hit, and I think that most of our plans are going to go out the window within an hour of things going truly kinetic. That's why in the past I've recommended and still recommend to come up with several different plans. And make them flexible enough that you can take the best of each plan and make even yet another plan. So I suggest three game plans. Make them extremely flexible to where if one starts failing, to where you know that it won't work, look at your next plan. You might have to take bits and pieces of those two plans and put them together. Or maybe even a third plan or parts from all three to be able to put together a coherent plan as the days unfold. But having a plan to sit tight where you're at is actually the best plan you can have as long as you're not in a nuclear target. Just moments ago I mentioned I have a fallout shelter, while I also have a Geiger counter, and I think that you need both. I think that if nukes fly, it's not going to be one, or two, or three, If nukes fly, I don't think it's going to be one, two, or three nukes. I think it's going to be multiple nukes. And all of these rockets that they send up have multiple warheads that they can guide to different locations. You might have one missile coming in that has several warheads that will break off and go different directions. And let's not forget that Russia has what they call loitering munitions that they can put up and hold them up for quite a while. And they can just come straight down on you. And they can take you out without warning. And also, they're Kinzhal missiles that are extremely fast. They travel faster than what our anti-aircraft and anti-missile defenses can handle. And if the United States gets hit, they're not going to get hit once and then have the country that does the attack sit back and wait for us to retaliate. I can guarantee you that's not going to happen. If Russia or Iran or China or any other country decides to send attacks at us, decides to attack us with nuclear weapons, they're going to unleash their arsenal, knowing that if they cut the United States off from NATO and go for the head, so to speak, and kill the snake by taking the head out, they know that the rest of Europe will surrender immediately because they don't want to suffer the same fate. And so the United States is the big prize. It's the big target. And I think that any country's first strike is going to be their biggest shot. They're going to go for a knockout blow instantly. That's why I think you need to really have a secondary place. Because they're not going to drop a bomb on Omaha one day and Chicago the next. And maybe a week later they might hit New York City. That's not going to happen that way. It's going to be boom. And then we're going to have to pick up the pieces. It's going to be very fast when this does happen. So you're going to have to develop a good sense of when to get out of dodge, so to speak. If you live in one of these areas, you don't want to be leaving all the time. Every time that there's a hiccup, you don't want to live in fear, and jump in your car and drive to this other location. But I think there are going to be definite signs that we're going to see and experience in the weeks leading up to a full-blown nuclear exchange. So I think you really need to listen close to the world leaders as they bluster and threaten each other. But I think we have a real threat and a real possibility of suitcase nuclear bombs that are most likely already all over the United States in the hands of real terrorists that are trained how to use them. And while those are low-intensity, and they don't cover a large area like a missile strike would, is still going to spread terror among the people of North America. And these suitcase nukes will prove that there is no place safe. I would imagine that several will go off in very small towns, just as a psychological ploy, letting all the Americans and Canadians know that there's no place they can go that is totally immune to being struck. So you're going to have to really have your head right. You're going to have to use a lot of wisdom and discernment. And also, you're going to have to be in prayer and ask God to let you know when it's the right time to relocate. I'm also going to talk about food and water and shelter and things in this episode. But I've already talked about that. Everyone has talked about that. But nobody is talking about what happens if the nuke hits. When it does hit, of course, there's a blast zone, and if you're in that, you're in bad trouble, or you're dead, actually. But it's the people that are going to have to suffer the radiation burns that are not quite in the blast zone, but they're going to feel the effects of the bomb. A lot of those people will not survive because they'll have their skin burned off. And then there's a group that is farther out that is at risk for Very early onset cancer because they're going to be radiated so heavily. But the majority of us are going to have to worry about fallout. That's why you need the Geiger counter. Because there's going to be a lot of bombs, I feel, that are going to go off. And you're going to have to know when it's safe to leave your bunker or your place of safety. And if you don't have a safe place already, if you don't have that figured out, I suggest you make that your top priority. Drop everything you're doing. And come up with a plan and also an area where you can make your stand. In whichever location you're at, whether it be your home or your bug-out location, or possibly the secondary bug-out location that I recommend, any place that you may be, you need to have a plan for surviving while you're at that place. And so if you have a bug-out bag, make sure you have a Geiger counter in your bug-out bag. Because if you live through the blast and you live through most of the fallout you don't want to step out too early and catch the last fallout before the safe levels come up. You don't want to be that person that comes out a day or two too early. And not only have a Geiger counter, train yourself on how to use it. Your life or your family's life may depend on that. I'm going to try to steer clear of the food aspect because I've address that so often, but I'm going to tell you one more time. You need to have at least one year's supply of food. Now we are coming up on foraging season, and I'm really big on foraging. And in parts of the United States in thirty or forty days, you're going to be able to start foraging. And in the rest of the United States within two months foraging season is going to start. The northern areas will also be ready to start foraging. If you haven't learned how to forage, I think you should make that a top priority. Download books or buy books concerning foraging. Watch some videos, and if you can download those videos and save them on a hard drive, I think that would be a good idea. You're going to have to start preparing yourself to live like we're back in the old days before the internet, before electricity, before computers, before all of the things that we take for granted, before they even existed. The world was just fine without all of our technology and all of our gadgets. But we have been trained over the years to be good consumers. And good consumers are ones that are dissatisfied with what they own and look beyond what they own for satisfaction so they'll go make another purchase. That's a mindset that's really been put into our heads. And that's one of the first mindsets that I rejected. And I'm so glad that everything I have is paid off, and I don't owe money, and I don't have car payments and house payments, and all of the things that the common person has, I don't have by design. And I don't have the fanciest vehicle, I don't have the fanciest house, but that's okay. It's fancy enough for me, and that's all I have to please. But getting back on topic, Have a bug-out vehicle if you can. That's a vehicle that will run on points and condenser, one that does not have electronic ignition or especially does not have a computer. You don't want a car that's going to spy on you. You don't want a car that can be hacked. You don't want a car that an EMP attack is going to render totally useless. And an EMP attack, depending on how strong it is, very much can mess up a car that just has standard points in condenser and coil. Points in condenser and coil are real easy to keep those parts on hand. Of course, you would store them in a Faraday cage. And if we do suffer an EMP attack, I think that's when you need to get out of dodge, to be honest with you. Because an EMP attack is most likely to happen before a nuclear strike. Because Russia and China and all of our enemies, if you want to consider them enemies, Even though we trade with China all the time, we're acting like they're one of our worst enemies. And China holds most of our debt. They own a lot of our debt. And we're going in debt, handing our money over to Ukraine. And so the aid packages we're giving Ukraine are actually coming from China. But yet we're calling China our enemy, so it's hard to figure out this crazy world of politics. But you're going to have to be prepared for anything to happen. And you're going to have to have a plan that's fluid enough for you to react. But getting back to the EMP attack. Russia, Iran, China, doesn't matter who it is. If they hit us with nukes, they will hit us first with an EMP attack. Because they know that all of our defenses rely on our technology. And so they're going to take away our technology. They're going to take away our cell phones. They're going to take out our smart appliances and all of our computers. They're going to take out our automobiles. They're going to take out our power grid. They're going to take all of this out so it will render most of our defenses absolutely worthless. And before we can set up emergency power generators, we'll probably get hit. And so in my mind, as I think this through, I would bet that you have less than an hour to get out of where you're at after an EMP attack. As a matter of fact, if I was in charge of a military and I was going to attack a country with an EMP device, I would probably send my attack only seconds after the EMP attack occurred because that's going to cause mass confusion and it's going to stop us in our tracks momentarily. We'll actually freeze, and I think that is when they're going to hit us. So, I would say that if there's an EMP attack anywhere in the United States, the nuclear warheads that are going to hit us are already airborne. So, you may only have seconds or minutes to act. And there's a lot of people that commute to and from work, and that's a really tricky one, because if things start happening when you're away from your house and you're at work, you're never going to get home. You're going to be snarled in traffic. And so another thing that none of the prepping sites or other preppers are telling you to do, and that's to have a talk with your boss or a talk with your family and come up with a plan for days that you will not go to work if certain things are happening in the world. I know that you may lose your job if you try to take too many days off. Of course, I know you'll lose your job. But you can always get another job and if you work a job that you have to be there no matter what, and you feel it in the marrow of your bones that you should stay home that day, but you can't afford to because you don't want to be fired, well, I think you need to really think that through. I think we need to pray about it, and I think we also need to do our best to do a balancing act of when to be sensitive to when things may happen and when you may just be over-sensitive. But the last place you want to be during an EMP attack or a nuclear attack is away from your family, away from your home, away from your provisions and your belongings and being stuck out in traffic. And if it is an EMP attack, no one's going to be moving. One thing I might suggest and it may not work, but you may want to think about this. If you commute to work, you might want to commute in a pickup truck that has a topper or some sort of a cover over the over the bed, or you have a box in your pickup bed that contains a small motorbike. Not one of these motorized bicycles that only go 20 or 30 miles an hour. I'm talking about a small motorcycle. Something that could be unloaded really quick, started fast, and I would suggest an off road bike. Depending on your situation, there's a possibility that if we are attacked, you can unload this motorbike and still get home. Of course, if you have a motorbike and everyone that stopped hears it start up, well, you better get out of there fast. That's all I'm going to say, and don't stop for anyone. I think you should have alternative routes that you take to get to your house, and you need to drive those routes regularly so you know every stoplight, you know every trouble spot, you know every hill, you know every curve, you know every town, and you need to note the traffic patterns, all of these routes, to know which is the lightest traffic, which is the heaviest traffic. And you need to time yourself of how long it takes you to get home. And you need to know what speed you're able to travel on these routes. I think all of this is vital to what I think is coming. Now there are many listeners that will listen to the last advice, the last few things I've said, and it doesn't pertain to them at all because they live in an area where they're not going to have any trouble getting home. I wish that was the case for everyone, but there are people that live in the metro areas that are going to have a hard time getting home just on a daily basis, let alone if there's an EMP attack and a potential nuclear strike on the way. Another thing I think you should do is have a set of plans of what to do if the parents cannot get home. The children need to have their plan that they put into place if mom and dad are gone and this happens let's say they come home early from school and you're both still at work and something happens well you need to provide for your children right now and give them the plan and make plans for that child to be safe and to be able to function without you two for for possibly even an extended period of time and of course you need to have plans for one spouse being there the other one not You need to be real flexible with this. And there's a possibility that I'm totally wrong and that you're never going to have to use any of these plans. But I think it's better to have these plans and not use them than to need the plans and not have them. If you find value in listening to this show, I would ask that you would please consider donating to keep this show on the air. It's because of your generous donations I'm able to do this show every week i take checks, money orders, or cash. You would write the checks payable to Thunderbolt West Media. You would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska, and the zip code is 69143. I would like for each of my listeners to send me an email to let me know how you listen to this program. Whether by radio, podcast, or one of the videocasts, I'd really appreciate it. That helps me plan the future direction of this program. And I want to assure all of my listeners, I don't keep any emails or email addresses. And so your email address is 100% safe with me. It will go no farther than my inbox. And my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. And I invite you to visit the website, which is offgridliving.faith, where you'll find links to more information on the show. And also, you can access every one of my Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show episodes on my website. Again, that's offgridliving.faith. If you're listening on frequency 7490, you're listening to The Planet, WBCQ. Monticello, Maine. And if you're listening to 5850, you're in tune with WRMI, Radio Miami International. And if you're tuned in to 89.3 FM, you're listening to Key Radio, Osage Beach, Missouri. No dinosaur media here. Welcome back to the second half of the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. This is your host, Jim Calhoun, and today I'm talking about some prepping things that maybe have slipped your mind or no one is talking about it anyway, so I think it's time someone started talking about some of the things that you're likely to face during an EMP attack or a nuclear strike and I am thinking worst case scenario here. And the reason I am is that first of all I think that there's a good possibility that we are going to go worst case. But if you're prepared for the worst case scenario and it doesn't happen, well that's going to leave you in really good shape to take care of some of the lesser problems that are going to come our way. One thing that a lot of people were talking about last year but bit, they kind of quit talking about it. You better have the right kind of iodine. And you better not overdo the iodine because that's harmful too. But you need to have an adequate supply plus the knowledge of just the dosage you're going to need and what type of iodine you're going to need in case of a nuclear attack. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to make any recommendation but I am going to recommend that you do some research and find out on your own just what kind of iodine you need and the dosage you need to take it in. And of course it's a good idea to consult your doctor and get your doctor in the loop on this as well. And while you're researching the iodine that you need it would be a good idea to research what to do and what not to do in times of a nuclear event such as a nuclear bomb or a nuclear power plant that explodes. Always remember that knowledge is power. And you're going to see a lot of the same information. It's going to be real redundant. But that will help cement the information in your head. And so it'll be there so you can recall it. And different countries recommend different things. And so I would go to sites from all of the major players as far as the United States, United Kingdom, Russia, China everybody that puts up information for their civilians of how to prepare for a nuclear event, you need to study everyone's plans. Chances are likely that you're going to find things on one site that another site never mentions. And so you need to be very well-rounded. And also you need to be realistic. Most of us are going to survive the initial blast if there is a nuclear exchange, most of us are going to survive the nuclear blasts. It's the fallout in the possible nuclear winter, in the horrible things that we're going to have to endure, that follows these few minutes or hours that the bombs are actually being exploded. We may be in trouble for two or three years as far as nuclear winter. And that's a terrifying prospect that no one talks about. They talk about getting your 30-day supply of food and make sure you have batteries in your flashlight and all of these elementary things that you should already know. But it's the cold, hard facts that the possibility that we may go into a nuclear winter is very real. And what that means is there will be no crops growing. You'll have no gardens. You'll have no heat, possibly no electricity. Everyone will have to burn wood or coal just to stay warm. And it also means everyone's going to run out of food. And so I think you should always have a minimum of one year's supply of food. And I'm almost ready to recommend two years. Because if you have two years' supply of food, and we do have a nuclear event that's huge, and there is indeed a nuclear winter, you'll be setting better than most everyone in the entire world. And while that does cost some money, beans and rice are cheap so I'd make sure I had plenty of beans and rice. I know I recommend that all the time, but I have new listeners all the time. and To be honest with you, there's a large percentage of people that listen to all the prepping shows and all of the people they consider doom and gloomers, and I'm sure I'm considered one also, that they listen and they say, yeah, that guy's probably right. That's probably going to happen. But the next day they just go about life as if everything's normal. there's nothing to see here. They stick their head back in the sand and they think, well, maybe next week I'll buy an extra can of tuna. That kind of thinking is going to get you killed, to be honest with you. At this point, you need to be looking at cases of tuna if you haven't started prepping. The time to buy one or two extra cans is long gone. And even if you have a year's supply of food, if you have some extra money, That's where I would invest it anyway, is in food. Not only for the security of you and your family, but this food might be used to barter. If you have enough food and you have people that need the food and they have an item that you need, well, you can barter food. And I hate to say this, but you may even have to give a desperate person food just to save your life if that person is coming to harm you. So the new riches is going to be food. The reason I'm saying that is, over the last couple of years, what has been attacked more than anything else, other than in the war zone? I'm talking about in North America. What has been attacked more than anything else? It's our food processing plants. It's our chicken farms. It's our hog farms. It's our food distribution. Anything to do with food is being disrupted or attacked As I speak, there's a huge fire in Texas at a chicken facility. And if you would go look at that fire, you'd have to ask yourself, what in the world is making that fire burn like that? To me, it looks like a bomb hit maybe an oil refinery. It doesn't look like a chicken place at all. And they say the fire may burn for several days. What's so flammable inside a chicken house? I don't know. Nothing is normal here, folks. The reason I say that the new way to be rich is to have food is because I think they're targeting all the food because the elites want to starve us. They want to control us. And the easiest way to control a population is to starve them and then offer them some breadcrumbs or whatever the elites decide to offer. And people will line up and do almost anything because they're so hungry. And if you have enough money and can store enough food for more people, you could actually be someone that's blessing people with food that would otherwise starve to death. But know this, don't tell anyone about your food. Don't tell them you're storing any food at all. If anyone asks you, are you getting all stocked up? Just say, nah, I'm not sure if anything's going to happen. Just be like one of those ostriches that put their head in the sand. Just give that stock answer. Nah, I don't think anything's going to happen. That's the best way to handle it. That way that person's going to walk away thinking, man, that person's not very smart not prepping. Well, that's good, because that means that person won't suspect that you have food that they could possibly come back and steal from you. And let's not be mistaken. When times get really desperate, all the people are going to get very desperate. And desperate people do desperate things such as a best friend, stealing from you or harming you in some way, possibly even killing you for your food. Don't think that can't happen. Just think of the Donner Party that was that wagon train that got stranded in the mountains during winter. None of those people were cannibals, not when they signed up with that wagon train, but the ones that survived became cannibals. That's the only way they could survive. And don't say, well, that happened a long time ago. Things like that wouldn't happen now. Don't kid yourself. As far as any thinking being dangerous, that's the most dangerous. Thinking that we're more enlightened, and there's no way that we would ever do anything like that. We're just so enlightened. Civilization is only one generation away from disappearing. Civility is only one generation away from being extinct. And I would guess that the people on that wagon train were more civilized than most of the people we have running around in the streets in our large cities that are drug addicted and just out to cause trouble. And so one thing you have to tell yourself is never say never because you don't know what's going to happen. And so you always expect the unexpected. But there's many reasons I think you should stay off the street You should keep your mouth shut. Don't let anyone know what you have. Don't give out your phone number very willingly. Don't give out your phone number unless that person absolutely needs your phone number or you very much want them to have that phone number. I've been talking recently about going gray, as in disguising yourself and being a wallflower and not standing out, just being what most people would think is a non-playable character to where you don't attract attention. I think it's time to become gray. And make no mistake, people do talk about you. Even when you don't think they do, they do. People notice when you plant something in your yard or whether you paint your house or anything like that, you'll always get a comment from someone, oh, I see that you did this, or I see you went over there, or I see you visited this person. People are always constantly trying to figure out what everyone else is doing. And you need to be that person that no one talks about. I think that's very vital, that you are as invisible as you possibly can be. Now, I will readily admit that I have trust issues, major trust issues. But I think that I need to use what I think is maybe a character flaw that I have, having trust issues. I think I need to use that to my advantage. And there are people that I can trust and will trust. But we're heading into a time where, I would say, in general, you shouldn't trust anyone. But that said, you're going to have to have some people you can rely on. You're going to have to have some buddies out there that will come to your aid if you need it. I know that I have several people I've talked to, and I was very blunt with them, and told them what I could offer them as far as me helping them protect their family and their property. And I told them what I would need in return and I've made agreements with several people, and so we have mutual protection. Of course, that would go out the window if we both need help at the same time, and we're fighting for our homes. I know that sounds really drastic and doesn't sound like it can happen in America, but just look at how many people we've let across our border. and They're all military age young men. There's a lot of cartels coming across our border. There's lots of drug trafficking and child trafficking and There's just a lot of evil that is crossing our border. And who knows when those people are going to come to your house. There's a video I watched that was titled, What Would You Do? All it was was just a recording of a doorbell camera of two women that walk in their house. I think it's a mother and a daughter. In about ten seconds after they closed the front door, and thank God they locked it, a man appeared on their step, and they were watching the man through their doorbell camera. He was obviously someone up to no good, as in to rape or rob or murder, or all three. He had been in a recent knife fight, it looked like, because his cheek was sliced all the way up to his eyes, and it was stitched, but it wasn't stitched by a doctor. It was very crudely done. So I would suspect that this person was in a gang and one of the gang members sewed this guy's wounds up. And he stood at the door, and the look in his eyes were hollow. He looked like he had no soul, and he was just standing there. And one of the ladies was saying, Go away! Go away! We don't want you here. Leave! And he just stood there staring. And it kind of sent a chill down my spine, because this man looked so evil. I'm sure that those two didn't think that they were going to have an evil man follow him home. And I don't think the evil man got in the house because the video ends with him still on the porch. And I would imagine they called law enforcement and things were taken care of. I hope that the two women were not harmed. But this man definitely was there to harm them. And so I would have to ask you, what would you do if all of a sudden you had a person or a group of people at your front door there to harm you, what would you do?" Another video I was watching was of a man that decided he would go to his neighbors and, for some reason, throw bricks through the windows. And the question on this video was, is this a correct use of lethal force? And the man was tossing bricks—and I'm talking big bricks—and loose chunks of asphalt and concrete. He smashed out a couple of windows. And he didn't just break the glass, he broke the whole frame and everything. These were very large bricks. He was a very large man, and he was very angry, and he's thrown the bricks very hard. Well, all of a sudden, the homeowner comes around the corner, and he's into what seems to be a golf cart, and he's going very, very fast. And he hits this guy, and this guy had his back to the golf cart. Apparently, he didn't hear it. It must have been an electric that he didn't hear it. And at about 25 to 30 miles an hour, the man with the bricks was struck, and he was run over. And if he lived through it, I can guarantee you it broke his back and broke his legs, because he was struck hard. In the moment that the golf cart struck this man, they blotted it out, they blurred it to where you couldn't see the man that got hit, because I know he was hurt that bad. So you have to ask yourself, what would you do in whatever situation? And you're going to have to train your mind to react quickly. If you have someone that steps on your porch that has a knife or a gun, what are you going to do? You need to know in advance. If a person is at your door and they're asking for food, what are you going to do? You need to know in advance. I think a lot of the prepping and things we do are so monetary and so much just getting food and water and saying, Okay, I'm ready. But are you really ready? Are you really ready for what's coming? I know I'm not. I don't want to see my country deteriorate into this third world country that it has deteriorated into. But in the near future, I see the draft being instituted, and there's already senators and congressmen that are talking about handing rifles to some of these illegals that are coming across the border and make them earn their citizenship by serving in the armed forces. And while that may sound like a pretty good idea, I would say there's a large percentage of the young men that are crossing our border that absolutely hate our country and they're here to harm it. And remember a few years ago, the incident at Fort Hood, where a shooter was killing our soldiers at Fort Hood, and he was another soldier who happened to hate the United States, and the American military, yet he was part of it. I think that we're building our own Trojan horse here in North America, and I'm really sad to see it, but we're going to have to deal with it. We, the people, are going to have to deal with it, not the government. The government is part of the problem, or the government is the problem. I think Ronald Reagan was very right in his distrust of big government, and right now our government's huge and getting bigger, more intrusive, more tyrannical. Censorship is going to just go wild as soon as the war goes truly kinetic. And if you think that things are being omitted now, or we are being lied to now, if you think it's bad now, just wait until bullets start actually flying between U.S. troops and whoever we're going to try to invade. But this time I think the United States is being lured into a trap. I really do. I think that what's going to happen is that we're going to see an awful lot of our servicemen and women come home in body bags. I really hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see that we have anyone in power that actually knows what they're doing. I think we have very senile and criminal types in our government all the way through. And there's just no way that we have the leadership to overcome everything that's going to come in our country. I'm going to touch back onto another topic I think that's very important, and it's bartering. I'm going to assume that our economy is going to crash and our dollar is going to be worthless fairly soon. And if you're one of those that just have cryptocurrency or you have everything in banks that are just nothing but a digital number on a computer screen, I think you're in big trouble. You need to have physical cash. You need to withdraw your money and take it home and hide it. I'm not a financial advisor, and you're not really doing this for financial gain. All you're trying to do is save what you have. And since the banks aren't paying any real interest for you to let them have your money, you're not really losing anything by having it at home, as long as you have a nice, safe, secure place to keep that money. And again, keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anyone what you have for any reason. Even if you're telling a friend over coffee, You never know who might be listening. Maybe it's someone walking by. Maybe it's at a cafe, if you're at a cafe, having a cup of coffee with a friend. You never know who's going to listen and hear what you say. And that's how I'm going to close this as far as prepping. I know we're supposed to respect our government. I know we're supposed to obey our government. But our government's rogue. It's illegitimate. It's out of control. It does not have your best interests at heart. It has the best interest of transgenders and illegals and a whole other different kind of reprobates that the government seems to coddle, seems to prefer. But if you're white, if you're Christian, if you're a male, if you're a gun owner, well, you've been labeled officially as a potential terrorist. That's why I think that it's very possible that all the guns are going to get confiscated because they're going to say anyone that voted for Donald Trump is for an insurrection, and so therefore they can't have weapons. I see things like that happening. I don't know if that scenario is actually going to take place, but I see the government making an illegal gun grab. Of course, everything they're going to do is illegal. They're illegitimate, plus they're going to do unconstitutional things, and they're not going to care. When you say, the Constitution doesn't allow that, they say, well, we just did it, so what are you going to do about it? And with That kind of an attitude, it's really, really tough to try to make your plans and try to rely on a government that has those kind of feelings. And so in closing, be self-reliant in everything you can be, in every which way you can. Your life and your family's life may just depend on that. I hope the right ears heard the show today. I appreciate you all tuning in. I would ask that you consider donating to help me keep this show on the air. I'd take checks, money orders, or cash. You'd write the check out to Thunderbolt West Media. You would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska, and the zip code is 69143. Again, thanks for listening, and until next time, everyone, get prepared, keep informed, make your plans, keep your powder dry, and never ever forget, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.